Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Good morning. It's two minutes past nine. You're tuned to 102.73 Triple R. Maybe you're listening via rrr.org.au. This is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name is Bron Burton and in studio. Fum. Hurrah. <laughs> I never thought I'd make it back here again. I'm so excited. I bet you didn't. <laughs> How great is this? And Nerida's here with us as well. And this is the first time in pretty close to a year that we've all been here in studio together at the same time in the same studio. We're very excited. I'm feeling so good about this. <laughs> Oh, so look, yes, if, I'm hoping you don't mind indulging us just for a few seconds while we absorb all of this because this is a really big deal for us. Um, it's so lovely to be here with you. Thank you so much, Tim, for Vital Bits. Thank you so much, Andrew, for Soulful Bits. And of course, as always, you can catch Tim next Saturday morning at six o'clock for his uh, first instalment of Two Vital Bits for the weekend. Lovely. And those were some excellent tunes, by the way. Mm. As always, but yes, yeah, I agree. Really enjoyed it this morning. Yeah. Farm, uh, you and I are joined also on Skype today by Kate Mills. I was about to cough loudly and say, "I'm still here, guys." <laughs> Sorry, we weren't sure where the narrator had lined you up because um, we were. Yep, that was all going on. So yes, welcome, Kate. And um, I'm sitting at home in high spirits. And look, we're very much looking forward to having you back in studio as well. We're, we're still under, you know, reduced restrictions, but still restrictions right now. So, um, yeah, we can't have all three of us in here on air at the same time, but it's lovely to have your company, Cade. Oh, and it's so nice to be here, Bron, and it works for me because I get to go camping next week and this is just a quick and easy exit after the show. Excellent. <laughs> also, honestly, it's probably better if we're not in the studio all at the same time. Just, just would be too much it fun. Might be too much. <laughs> too much. <laughs> we might just sit here and look at each other for an hour and not actually talk. We'd be just too happy. All right, so over the next hour we've got um, a, lot of sh- a lot of stuff coming up. We're going to shortly cross to somewhere in the middle of Port Phillip Bay. I actually don't know where, but Brett, our cabin boy, he's going to be bringing us his uh, edition of Cabin Boy Diaries for February. And he's going to be talking us through the logistics of planning a sailing voyage. What's actually required if you're going to go out on that three-hour tour or maybe a bit longer. So he's going to talk to us about that. Um, we've got a ton of news, which we'll get to shortly, um, maybe a little bit now and a bit sort of around sort of that 9.25 mark. When they're then going to cross to Cape Bridgewater to speak with Mary Picard. She's a member of a group called Save Cape Bridgewater and uh, many Thanks to those of you out there who've been contacting us via our Facebook page to let us know about uh, an issue that is running and developing uh, a proposed development in Cape Bridgewater to build a 240-bed resort. Um, being met with some degree of concern by many locals in Cape Bridgewater and surrounds. So we'll talk to Mary about the proposal uh, and you know what it entails and why the uh, people in the area and 
outside the area as well are so concerned about it. And then we're going to um, cross from Cape Bridgewater back to closer to home here in Melbourne and go down to Mount Martha to catch up with Jackie Younger. We caught up with, oh, we were going to catch up with Jackie last week. That's right. But we had a bit of a mix up with um, phone versus Skype and didn't quite get her. So we're going to catch up with her this week. She is going to be live on location for today's uh, Beach Patrol event. We've put the um, details for that on our Facebook page already. Uh, so yes, details for today's Beach Patrol event. Really nice day actually to be down at the beach not too hot not oh, too it's cold beautiful yeah, yeah. Uh, and also some stats on the seaside scavenge event at McRae which happened last week um, and also the, over the last few days just this is how great this kind of community is our underwater community um, that you know people went diving and snorkeling um, once we were out of lockdown had a bit of a look around and um, just yeah anecdotally spotting a few northern pacific sea stars that seem to have come out of nowhere so uh, a, a galvanizing of effort by some volunteers to go down there and all under permit of course uh, deal with this sudden rise in numbers of northern pacific sea stars on the mornington peninsula honestly i think jackie must be the busiest woman in marine conservation in victoria <laughs> right now <laughs> you might have to share that title farm oh, i don't know <laughs> she's pretty busy so yep that's what we got lined up today and i know Kate, you've got some news we'll get to that in just a sec because this is a classic I actually brought this in last week but we didn't quite get time to get to it so I'm so glad you're doing it today um, let's have a look at the weather farm. The weather for the 21st of February today is for the Melbourne area. We've got a max of 22, which is a nice cool change from the last few days we've had. Um, it's going to be cloudy, patchy morning fogs out in the suburbs, and we've got a medium chance of light showers or drizzle, more likely during the afternoon, and chances about 40%. We've got light winds becoming southerly, 15 to 25 k's an hour in the early afternoon. Monday, 21, Tuesday, 19, and Wednesday, a top of 21 and after that it's going to stay in the low 20s for a little bit with a little bit of rain here and there. For Geelong and the Surf Coast area today, very similar. We've got a max of 22, cloudy and patchy morning fogs and a very slight chance of rain as well. Tide times today, north of the bay in St Kilda, the next high is in 9.33, so in only half an hour or so. Um, and Port Phillip Heads, the next low will be at 12.52pm if you want to plan your diving, snorkeling and surfing. Awesome. Thanks, Val. Let's go, uh, Cade. We're going to jump straight to you with um, the news of the week. It was a couple of weeks ago now, but um, this is a classic. Uh, this one came across both our desks, and I think I was quite – I was expecting you to do it last week, but obviously time sort of caught up with you. Um, when it comes to clickbait, I'm a sucker. Like, everyone loves their list, but I'm a sucker for something that has, you know – the average human drinks a bathtub full of coffee in a year's or something like that. Like whenever they start putting things <laughs> using references of bathtubs, MCGs, Sydney harbours, things like that. And this one got me. Spooning poo. How five Eiffel Towers worth of sea cucumber poo helps sustain a Queensland reef. Like, <laughs> just so, let's just let's just back up, just up and and yeah, that visuals. statistic that that number again, Cade. <laughs> that is five Eiffel Towers worth of sea cucumber poo. <laughs> So, not why. I'm sorry, not I don't two. understand Eiffel Towers. Can you put that in Olympic swimming pools? <laughs> or MCGs, <laughs> please, for the Melbourne. Yeah, MCGs. If you were to stand four Olympic swimming pools end on end and shape them like the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So that, that's a lot of poo. And it's not suggesting that the authors of this paper actually spooned five Eiffel Towers worth of poo. They'd actually just put some sea cucumbers in a tank and spent 24 hours spooning poo. 
Um, and I don't know if anyone out there has spent the time or has seen cucumbers, and they do, they leave sort of little pellets behind. And so what the scientists did is they basically measured the amount of poo that sea cucumbers did. Then they measured the number of sea cucumbers on the reef at Heron Island, which is about 3 million, uh, which is quite a few. Mm. And then they extrapolated out to get an idea of how much poo they were actually, or how much sediment they were actually um, bioturbating, which what that basically means, it's like what worms do in the, in the soil. So they basically process the soil, eat a lot of microbes um, and release nutrients into the water which helps algae grow on the reef but importantly they also release calcium carbonate so they're actually trying to just get an idea of what these sea cucumbers do and their sort of role in the ecology of reefs because like a lot of stuff in science a sea cucumber is nowhere near as sexy as a whale but its role underpins basically the whole ecosystem and that's what this research sort of highlighted and the reason why they use Eiffel Tower is because one of the authors was French <laughs> and also <laughs> it made you click on their article which is very that smart is, as I said so, I'm a sucker so Kate, for anything that uses an Olympic swimming pool or a bathtub or an Eiffel Tower so basically so basically they've been measuring how much uh, sea, cucumber, sea cucumbers are filtering the sediments is, was that the research topic? Basically, yeah. So they're looking at the turnover of sediment. So sea cucumbers yeah. is a fishery around the world. And in some areas, they're actually noting that the um, sediment's turning sort of that black. And if anyone's been for a walk in salt marsh or mangroves, you'll you know, stick your foot in the sediment, you get that anoxic, that sulfurous sort of smell. And it's because basically the top layer is aerated. But as you get further down, it's not aerated. And that's where that sort of sulfur um, dioxide sort of builds up. And so the sea cucumbers play that role and just keep churning and turning over that sediment on the reefs. And so areas where they've been fished too heavily, they end up with the black layer, but it also means they don't get the algal growth, which means they don't get the fish. And in turn, you've not sort of got that healthy um, reef ecosystem. It's so critically important, Kate, and that's why this sort of research is so important because, you know, we can sit back and have a giggle and say, oh, someone spent time having a look at sea cucumber poo, but it's that it's the significance of what they've done for the rest of the reef and you know that then has broader impacts on marine conservation efforts and really sort of underpinning why it's so important oh, it does and that's why i think the title is very clever because you know it's not a whale it's not a dolphin but it is making poo sexy so i'm all for it <laughs> <laughs> oh too. that's a stretch but all right we'll go with it <laughs> <laughs> excellent thanks kate <laughs> Escuchando Radio Marinada en tres triple R. Oh, yes, you are. Where it is uh, 17 minutes past nine. And without further ado, we're going to cross to, we'll find out in just a sec, uh, our very own cabin boy, Brett Ditchfield. Good morning, Brett. Never fear, I'm here, crew. Good morning. Nerida's very happy. We've managed to catch you via phone on Skype. I don't know how it works technologically. Anyway, Nerida sorted us out. Um, how, where, where are you? Let's start with that. Well, we're anchored in Port Arlington Harbour. So if you're familiar with Port Arlington, it's a nice little... Well, it's been up, done up recently. So it's kind of a fisherman's port. You can pull up there or you can just anchor in the nice little safe harbour here. And that's where we are today. Very nice. Now you're about to. Uh, we, you're going to talk to us today about uh, about what it takes to plan for a voyage. What kind of voyage are we talking about, Brett? Well, originally this weekend it's the Otway Odyssey. I was going to go down there to ride my mountain bike and all that. It starts at Apollo Bay, and a few people have said, "Why don't you just sail down?" And uh, it made me realise that you, you, a lot of people don't realise quite what's involved in planning on sailing uh, down to. Well, 
down to Apollo Bay. That's from where we are at Western Beach Boat Club in Geelong. That's a, at least 83 nautical miles away. So um, if you average it out at five knots per hour, per hour, that's a fair, that's a good 16, 17 hours sail. Huh. But you've got to get through the heads. So um, get through the heads. Again, it's kind of a, uh, you've got to go through at a certain time on a slack water. Today, for example, the slack tide at the heads is 9.34 or 4.48. And you work that out uh, by the high or the low tide at Williamstown will give you the slack tide at the uh, heads. But you can't, so you can't just sail through. So you've got to kind of time it to leave from your mooring to get to the heads to get through there. Once through, then you've got a, a 10-hour sail down. So do you want to come, you know, do you want to arrive in the daylight or do you want to arrive at night? So you've also got to take that time into account and also realise once you're out of the head, there's no safe harbours, there's no safe anchorages from here to, uh, to Apollo Bay. So you've got to really keep your eye on the weather there. So presumably you're not going today, Brett, because it's already 9.19 and if, if slack at the head is, is at 9.34, even even factoring that in with a 10-hour trip, you wouldn't be getting to Apollo Bay until, you know, 7 o'clock tonight. Exactly. No, we're not going. I, I should have been down for this weekend. So this was just a theoretical working out of... Um, okay. Because, uh, as you said, you can't just, it's not a whim. You can't just go on a whim. You've got to uh, kind of plan it out. And even once you're down there, too, you've got to keep your eye on the weather because you've also got a plan to get home. So if you arrive down at Apollo Bay and it's all good and then you, you know, think, okay, let's go home, and you've got easterlies blowing, that's a headwind all the way home. So you've kind of got to not only allow the weather window to get down there, you've also got to look further ahead and plan on how you're getting home because you could be caught down there for two or three weeks and um, if you've got to get back to work and family life and all that, you are, yeah, could be a bit of trouble there. Yeah, right. So what are you doing in Port Arlington? Um, we've just come on a whim. It was, uh, we were been meaning to come sailing for quite a while, lockdown this, lockdown that. Um, this weekend, well, it was going to be nice weather, so we thought, well, just, yeah, grab some food, light up the boat, and um, it was a three-hour sail down yesterday. Uh, Southerlies all day, all day yesterday, so it was a nice broad reach down here. Southerlies all the way today, so it's going to be a nice broad reach at home. So, yeah, we just come down here for uh, to kind of forget all the cares in the world and uh, kind of just be uh, uh, the two of us on the boat. So it'd be, it's quite nice. So, Brett... I wanted to ask you, going back to planning your trip, um, you don't have the luxury yep. of being able to pull into a servo if you've forgotten something on the way down. What has been the stupidest thing you've actually forgotten when it comes to launching off one of these trips? Because, I mean, we're all human. We all forget things. Um, is there any particular things that you've left behind that you wish you had brought with you? Uh, there's always, you can never have enough fuel because you think, oh, no, we'll sail all the way. And then uh, inclement weather or you want to keep up five knots too. So if there's not enough wind or your uh, navigation kind of calculations are, are done on five knots per hour. So if you start dropping below five knots, you kind of think, yes, let's put the stinker on and uh, keep that five knots. And there's been a few occasions where, oh, we've got to save some fuel to get into that dock or that. So 
we're just going to have to uh, kind of uh, sail under five knots. So, yeah. You can never have enough fuel. And what about what about preparing before you go? So you've done your planning. Can you then just rock up at the harbour and just like jump on and set sail? Or do you need hours to prep for stuff? No, well, that, that's where um, the kind of seaworthy. You've got to make sure you're both seaworthy. You're not going to do it in the last hour. You've got to make sure, you know, you'd want to make sure your engine's been serviced. You've gone over all your lines. This is, you know, in the week or two before, especially if you're going out through the head. Around the bay, not so much. But if you're out through the head, you, yeah, you've only got yourself to blame there and you've only got yourself to get yourself out of trouble. So you've got to make sure you're in a seaworthy state. And that's including the crew too. You don't want to take someone out that's never sailed before that may get seasick or anything like that. So you've got to be mentally prepared too. How big is your boat, Brett? Uh, just under 30 foot, so okay. she's not big at all, but capable. Um, and I had a question too about the, you're talking about seaworthy and I'm thinking, you know, for the for the land equivalent with roadworthies, how does that work? Is there, uh, you know, are these things regulated or is it just a case of if it's not seaworthy, you know, you're the one that's going to have to deal with it? Um, is there any kind of regulation around that? Well, there's the you know the rules and regulations. You've got to have your flares that are in date. They go out of date, so they've got a timeline. So you've got to make sure they're all in date. Um, you've got to have a life jacket for every person on board. We carry an EPIRB, uh, emergency positioning indication, radio beacon. So if we get into trouble, we can set that off, and that sends out a signal to aircraft or anything like that that they can locate us. And we even carry a personal one on each of our life jackets. So if anyone goes overboard, they can let that off too. And we can, uh, the authorities can trace them. So there's a fair bit. Making sure you've got water, food, enough diesel, that your sails are in good shape. So it's a bit personal, really. It seems, I'm, I'm going to diss the uh, motorboaters here, but it seems the yachties are a little bit more careful, whereas the, yeah, out fishing, you know, throw the, in the tinny just half a litre of petrol and you'd be right. So apologies to the uh, fishermen out there. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a bit like uh, the, uh, you could say, like an automatic versus a manual driver. <laughs> Is that a good analogy, Brett? We won't Brett? get into that. <laughs> yeah, we won't get into that. But of, and, of course, you've got to also have your, uh, your boating licence on you, so don't yeah. forget that. Excellent. So, look, just before we let you go, let's do a really super quick sailing um, forecast or report for the day. What what would be your pick for going out there and having a sail today? Well, it's southerlies all day, uh, quite light this morning, and I think it's picking up around about 2 o'clock to 15 to 20 knots. So just get out there and, um, yeah, try not to go upwind. So plan- that's the other thing. If you're going for a day sail, you'd never plan to go upwind. You'd always try and either go uh, on a broad reach across the wind or downwind so um, you don't have to beat to windward. So, yeah, check the weather before you go out and just plan your little day sail and, yeah, you'll be right that way. Is that all about getting back when you say don't go upwind? Yeah, yeah, well, that's the thing. Um, upwind, you go, because you've got to tack upwind, you're going to go twice as far and there is a saying, a saying that gentlemen don't go upwind to, or <laughs> gentlemen don't go to weather because it's just too hard. And, you know, that's when the boat is really heeling over 
Um, and you're going twice as far because you're tacking upwind. So you're trying to avoid that as much as you can. Yeah, fair enough. All right, well, have a great day, Brett. It's been lovely catching up with you. And um, next time, hopefully, in the studio. Oh, yes, I'm planning that, so that'd be good to uh, a big reunion there. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> you won't know yourself. It's pretty great. All right, have a, oh, great, no. have a great day. We'll catch you soon. <laughs> All right, enjoy your day on the water if you're out there. Yeah, Cheers. perfect. See you. Bye for now. Brett there, our very own cabin boy, talking about the logistics of planning a voyage. It's 26 minutes past nine. You're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. A couple of station announcements, and uh, then we'll come back with a tiny bit of news. No, no station announcements. Pardon? Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Any, no extra time. Woo-hoo. We got we some cuts in there. Yeah, later. Later. Yeah, we've done those. Okay. Yeah, song. All right. We've we've slightly changed the order of things. No, That's yeah, cool. That... We're going rogue on a no. first day back <laughs> in studio. <laughs> Anyone got any news? Uh, I do. Yeah. Yep. Dude, look. When it comes to um, you know, getting out there on the fifth of March or starting, well, basically March is going to be a sea slug census, slug fest, slug off, sluggo, I don't know what you want to call it, basically around the country. So there are multiple sea slug censuses happening through happening throughout the country over March. So we've got them happening in Exmouth, they're happening in the Sunshine Coast, they're happening in um, Nelson Bay at Port Stephens, Lord Howe Island, and even overseas at Vanuatu and Victoria. And um, the organiser, which is uh, Professor Steve Smith from Southern Cross University, who sort of kicked off the sea slug census and, you know, VMPA and the work I do at ReefWatch is part of that, has decided that we'll have a bit of a slug off and we'll see which area or which region can find the most slugs, but also celebrate sort of diversity of sea slugs, so get people out into different habitats. Because I don't know if you're aware in the studio, but there are actually sea slugs that live interstitially, interstitially, which is basically between the grains of sand. Oh, wow. So they're so small that they spend their time crawling around between grains of sand. So there's still a lot out there that we haven't found. And I'm just going to give a plug to the, I guess, the marine community that we have at Radio Marin. And, and in Victoria, of the 300 species of uh, over 300 species of sea slugs known during seven sea slug censuses, which is basically 28 days of people going out and searching for sea slugs, how many do you reckon they found? How many Put species? Just, yeah, how many species? Farm, do you have a guess? Oh, God. Uh, 100? 180. <gasps> wow. Well done, have everyone. Been found just by the public. So this isn't by scientists. This is just people that have very keen eyes and fantastic cameras. They've photographed over 180 species of Victorian sea slugs. Amazing. So, yeah, at the moment we're working to put together a booklet as an introductory for those who struggle to find them, which I am one of those people. Um, give a few tips and also some images that are uh, to show people where to look and what's sort of being found. So starting on the 5th of March is the Victorian sea slug census. It runs from my birthday, which is the 5th of March, on Friday to the 8th of March, Monday. So if you're near the coast, get in the water and start having a look around to find them. Amazing. And if you're um, in Victoria, that's the long weekend coming up as well. It is, yes. And I'll be camped down at Blair Gary because Blair Gary Pier is one of the hotspots for nudibranch diversity in Victoria. Brilliant. Preparing to slug it out. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm living the slug life, Ron. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Um, Farm, you had some news? Yeah, I've got some. Would you like a plug or would you like some news? 
Uh, let's go with the plug. All righty. So don't forget, everybody, that the new round has opened for the Port Phillip Bay Fund here in Victoria. The previous Port Phillip Bay Fund um, has been delivered and is finished up and the reporting has been done. Um, and now we have another round opening. So get your um, proposals in. Um, the Port Phillip Bay Fund is there to support projects that aim to protect the health of the bay and the bay catchment area as well. And the priorities of this particular round of funding are conserving and restoring the Bay's habitat and marine life, enhancing waterways and significant wetlands, encouraging strong partnerships, improving the appreciation and understanding of the Bay's cultural and environmental values, and engaging and involving urban communities in on-ground actions relating to Bay health. Whew, that was a mouthful. So, um, yeah, get ready for it. Uh, call all your friends in marine conservation. Call your nearest not-for-profit and uh, start brainstorming about projects to help protect the bay. Applications close by Thursday the 1st of April at 12 p.m. And I think the projects need to be delivered by September 2022. So you got about a year. Mm. Fantastic. That's great. And just before we go to a track... Um, excellent. Um, before we go to a track, do you want to um, give a quick plug to the event that's coming up? Yeah, absolutely. So the Port Phillip Eco Centre yep. is organising the Culture and Nature Festival this week. Um, and that includes a few online snorkelling experiences <laughs> and they are free. And this time they are multilingual as well. So um, on Wednesday, there'll be a Baykeeper's watch party to watch the Eco Centre's documentary. And there will be subtitles in English, Spanish, Chinese. And Thursday and Friday, there'll be online snorkelling uh, in English and Mandarin and also in English and Hindi translated right online for you. So if you have any friends or schoolmates that uh, speak those languages, um, yeah, come and uh, join the Eco Centre this week. That's awesome. Thanks, Farm. No uh, just before we move to the track, I just want to give a big shout out to Cliff Davis. I'm calling it. He is Triple R's most remote subscriber. He's in Antarctica and he's been sending us messages this morning with some um, photos from uh, life in Antarctica at Casey Station this morning. So we're going to post them on our Facebook page. Thanks, Cliff. Big shout out to you. Hi from everyone listening to this <laughs> show to you. It looks cold out there. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and uh, he's made a little message here. Um, actually, I might just just read that before I read it out in case I'm not meant to. <laughs> now, over the last couple of weeks, a few listeners have reached out to us here at Radio Marinara to alert us to a proposed development along the clifftops of Cape Bridgewater along the far southwestern coastline of Victoria. The proposed development is for a 240-bed resort in what seems to be a relatively untouched landscape. Many of the locals to Cape Bridgewater are concerned at what the proposed development might mean and they formed a group called Save Cape Bridgewater to alert people to the proposal and draw some attention to the impacts on a currently undeveloped landscape. To tell us about the proposal and what it might mean, we're pleased to welcome to Triple R and to Radio Marinara, member of Save Cape Bridgewater, Mary Picard. Good morning, Mary. Welcome to Triple R and to Radio Marinara. Good morning, Don. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you with us. Let's start with a description of Cape Bridgewater. Um, we've seen some stunning, stunning images and put them on our Facebook page, but thought it uh, might be good to start with a bit of a description to kick it off about Cape Bridgewater. Where is it? What's it like? And can you describe the landscape for us? Yeah, sure. Look, well, I have to start by saying it's the best beach in Cape in the world, and I won't <laughs> take any argument about that. <laughs> it's um, it's a wonderful place. It's a huge cape that sticks out into the Southern Ocean. It's very rugged and windswept. Uh, the top of it has um, rolling hills and farmland, and the sides are cliffs with natural vegetation. And there's a seal colony lives there. We have whales going by. We have um, 
kangaroos and wallabies and lots of bird life on the Cape itself. Um, at, before the Cape starts, there's a very small settlement, um, Cape Bridgewater Settlement, which has about 80 permanent residents sort of settled, um, nestled in around the beach. And, um, and then it's just um, farmland along the top and wild vegetation around the cliff edges. It's also the home of the Great Southwest Walk, which is becoming world famous, actually. And it, it's part of a coastal reserve area that goes for many kilometres on either side. And there's huge wild beaches and rolling surf that comes in. Yeah, so it's an amazing place. I read last night that uh, the Cape and its nearby coastal areas classified by the or classed by the government as the second most important coastline in Victoria, uh, only second to the 12 apostles along the Great Ocean Road. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't get down here, but it's um, you have to keep going past Warnemore and past Port Ferry and through Portland and another 20 kilometres. So you're nearly at the South Australian border. So it, it's, a, it's really the jewel of the South West that people just don't know about. And it's um, everyone who comes here falls in love with it. It's, it really is an amazing place. What's your personal history with Cape Bridgewater, Mary? Um, well, I grew up in this area. And um, actually, a lot of my childhood was quite close by. And so it's a very special place for me and my family. And um, all the families around here have always sort of come to the beach and the Cape for outdoor recreation and summer and winter. It's just got amazing character. So, yeah, it's just, it's it's a particular shape. It has this beautiful rising high cliff in the middle. And there's it's just, yeah, I, I just feel very... Um, very strongly about it and I think everyone around here does although some people probably take it for granted a bit because I've lived away for a long time and then come back so um, I appreciate it and anew I think yeah what's uh, let's go to the proposal so what is it that's been proposed okay well um, I'll say where where it is on the Cape first so there's um there's a, the little settlement and then there's um, farmland after that and so this is a proposal for a huge resort on a hill just past the existing settlement. So it's currently a sheep paddock. Um, and it would be really visible. So it's for a very large multi-building resort on a 10 hectare site. It'll have a total of um, 240, almost 240 guests and a restaurant on top of the cliff. And um, so it has, the frontage of it is as long as the MCG. I don't know how it relates to the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, the front of it is as, lo- is as long as the MCG and the middle buildings will be 27 metres high. Yeah, it's worth uh, which, just stopping and pausing to think about that. 27 metres high for those middle buildings. Yeah. Yeah. Looking yeah. over a sleepy village. Yeah, well, looking over a cliff edge, uh, you know, so it's, a, it's on a sleepy village and a very wild beach and a very wild seascape. And mm. it will be visible from the Great Southwest Walk, which goes around the edge of the Cape um, and also along the beach. So it will be a really very, very obvious and very large object on, on top of sort of the best tourist attraction. So it just makes no sense. <laughs> Has the um, have, has the developer kind of been quite clear about the fact that this is going to be twenty seven meters high and you know have a have a really big impact on the local coastline and the surrounds? Uh, no, I would say definitely not. Um, I think they've given the impression that it would just blend in nicely with the existing settlement, um, but um, 
it, yeah, it, nowhere does it say this is going to be 27 metres high at the front. It's, I've been through all the planning documents and it's quite difficult to find that information. And so a lot of people around here think that it would be quite low impact, but it definitely won't be low impact. You have to look at the plans and the measurements to really find that out. Um, a few years ago, Mary, there was an Apollo Bay, a proposal for a big development at Apollo Bay, and we're kind of talking apples and oranges really, aren't we? Because Apollo Bay is a big established, uh, you know, it goes beyond a village. It's quite a big established place, and from what you've just described, Cape Bridgewater, it's quite small. But uh, what happened with that proposal there? Um, yeah, well, that was a, a very large proposal at Apollo Bay, and it was the same developer with a different company, and um, that attracted a lot of community opposition because it was super large scale. Even for Apollo Bay, it was way out of scale. And and in the end, the planning minister decided that um, it was too large and too out of scale for the Apollo Bay landscape. So that pro- proposal was defeated in 2019. And now it's the same developer here. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't and, it? That decision yeah. being made in proportion to the landscape, so... That's right, yeah, yeah. And in fact, in Cape Bridgewater, we have a Cape Bridgewater structure plan which says that, that any future development should be within the existing settlement, which this isn't, and that it should be small-scale, low-level, and sit lightly on the landscape. And this is just the opposite of all those things. I don't know how it got to this stage. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that because I read that uh, five out of six of the councillors have actually voted in favour of it, including your mayor. So, yeah, that's really interesting that, you know, those documents are there, but still it is it is going ahead in that sense. Um, yeah, well, what happened was the council um, actually decided not to make a real decision on it. <laughs> they didn't discuss it. Um, they just said, they had in principle support and then they referred it to the Minister for Planning, Richard Wynn, um, to make a decision. Okay, so is that where it is at the moment, Mary? Yeah, that's where it is at the moment. Um, so the it's been referred to a special ad- advisory committee of the priority projects for the Minister for Planning and they've had an initial directions here and where they sort of planned who was going to be represented. Um, so the developer, obviously, they have briefed a QC. And the Safe Cape Bridgewater Association has um, is still raising funds to get legal representation and expert witnesses for that. Um, so that's a really important part of what I want to say today because uh, we still need a lot of support. Um, and so they've scheduled 12 days of hearings where this committee will actually hear all the um, all the different um, submitters. So they will hear the developer, they will hear the town council, and they will hear the Cape Bridgewater Association, as well as a lot of small objectors. There's about 50 of us who have registered to speak in these online hearings. And they're really going to look at the whole thing and make a recommendation to the minister who will then make a final decision. It's interesting you say that the the settlement of Cape Bridgewater is about 80 people and you've got 50 people registered to speak at this hearing, so that kind of speaks volumes to me. <laughs> They're very active yeah, citizens. Yeah. That's great. What's um what's the best way that people can get in touch, Mary? Because we'll, we'll keep following this one along over the next sort of few weeks and few months. Um, yeah. We'll catch up with you again sort of in, in due course. Um, yeah. But uh, in the meantime, what's the best, uh, anything else that you'd like to get across and and obviously what's the best way people can get in touch and and support you? Yeah, well, the best way is to um, Google search Save Cape Bridgewater Association 
and um, you, you can find their, their website. Um, basically, it's... Um, yeah, so that, that's just the best way that Save Cape Bridge Water Association. And so they are raising funds and you can donate and get updates through them. And um, if you want to donate by credit card, I've also got a GoFundMe site um, to, to donate to them because they take bank account donations. Okay, and that's uh, all so, available yeah. via the website you can get to from their webpage. Um, and yeah, just, so, yeah. Yep. Uh, and just uh, any, any kind of key milestones or dates coming up for... Um, particularly yep. in terms of consideration of the proposal. Yep, okay. So from the 23rd of May is when the Ministerial Committee is starting to have its 12 days of hearing. So um, the Save Cape Bridgewater Association needs to have its legal representation and um, experts all lined up by then. So if people are thinking of supporting, it would be great if they can do that sooner rather than later because um, the case needs to be prepared and everything. So yeah. that's the important date. All right. Yeah. Great. And uh, any last um, messages before we, we push on? But we will catch up with you in a few weeks. Yeah, basically, just let, don't let this jewel be ruined because it's just one of the wonderful assets of Australia and Victoria and this area. And once once it's built on, we'll never get it back. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Mary. Look, thanks so much for reaching out to us. And um, thanks to Sian and a couple of other people who've reached out to us as well. And it's been great speaking with you. And we'll catch up with you in a few weeks' time. Thank you very much. All okay, the best. Bye. Bye for now. Mary Picard there from Save Cape Bridgewater. G'day, John Clark here. When I want to learn about all things wet and salty, which is a pretty much constant desire on my part, I tune into Radio Marinara Sunday mornings at 9am on 102.7 3RRR. <sighs> Ah, beautiful. It's uh, bang on, 10 minutes to 10. You're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3 Triple R. quick message that's come through from Cliff Davis, who's still with us down in Antarctica at Casey Station. And uh, a couple of things. He said um, in reference to uh, Brett's sailing report before that he's run out of booze twice when sailing. Uh, <laughs> he said that's a bummer and it's even worse when trying to buy booze in a town overseas where it's illegal. So I'm sure that's the case. Cliff's also um, sent us a weather report from Casey Station this morning. It's uh, 14 knot, um, he's got 14 knot winds gusting to 15 knots. Air temperature is minus 3.5 degrees centigrade. A balmy with for wind, Antarctica. Yeah, with the wind chill, that's minus 10.5 with uh, 78% humidity. So Still warmer than Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Indeed. All right, I believe we have Jackie Younger on the line. Good morning, Jackie. Hey, Bron. Hey, Sam. Hey, Kate. How are you? Yeah, good. How are you? Great to have you with us. Oh, thank you. Not too bad, actually. Um, I feel a bit waterlogged after this week, but yeah, I'm just about to go into the beach patrol, so I thought I'd wait to speak to you first because I might get interrupted when I go in there. Yeah, no, fair enough. Now, we've got four things we want to cover today, and you've mentioned about being waterlogged during the week, so let's cut straight to that. Sea stars, what's going on? Sure. Well, um, the, the emergency with us was, look, I've, I have been looking at Northern Pacific Sea Star for some years now. They've been here since the 80s. It's not, it's not a new invasive sea star, um, voracious predator, but I've never seen them this far south in the bay. So we got a report during lockdown and we went for a bit of a swim. At, I'm in Germana, so my 5K zone covers the Safety Beach Cliffs. So we just went for a swim and we're like, oh, there's a few sea stars here. And then we went back the next day, thought there were hundreds. Then we went back the next day and found there was to be thousands there. So we had a big clean-up yesterday. Fantastic. We had to do a rolling clean-up because of COVID. We only had to have 20 people at this particular event. So we had about 
28 all up over a rolling sort of um, meet-up, so we weren't going over numbers, and we probably pulled out about 10,000 yesterday. Wow. 10,000 just in yeah. one day. Easily. Easily. Um, they're at breeding age, apparently, too. So the big ones are kind of about a size of a tennis ball. And, you know, people will say there's, there's millions of them. What can you do? To me, that's 10,000 sea stars that are not in the water that are not going to breed. So they, they just eat everything. So they're really... Look, the marine is 100 metres from where we found them. So it's no... It's no, it's not rocket science to know where they came from. It's mm-hmm. a, you know, marine is a hot spot for translocating these species. So... Yeah, so look, what what I would like to say today as well is just to try and um, get the get the awareness out there. We're thinking of developing an app for them so people can tell us where they are, but also to make it a bit easier for people to get permits so we can have a bit more of a rapid response. That's the issue with yeah. these species. They can move really quickly. Yeah, and important to mention too, these are being collected, if you missed the start of the show, these are being collected under permit. Um, if you're oh, all, absolutely. Yeah, so don't just go and start pulling them out of the water and probably the best thing people can do is to get in touch with you if they want to be part of that exercise because then you know that you're doing it properly. Yep. You also know that you're not confusing it with the 11-armed sea star, which people do, don't they, Farm? Yeah, they do. And also there's another five-armed sea star that's native to Port yep. Phillip Bay that's easily confused. So permits usually only um, yeah. issued to people who know what they're talking about or who can provide training to volunteers into how to discern uh, which sea star is which. Absolutely, fam. And look, that's the issue. We've had alerts all over the peninsula for the five-armed sea star when people think it's the 11... I think it's the Northern Pacific. So there's reasons that you need a permit, but we do need to start looking at... I know a lot of people who have applied in the last few weeks to try and get a permit, so I think that that's a really good thing because people go walking along the beach and they see these sea stars and by the time we get there, they've moved off. So that's the issue. They move off. They can move really quickly for a sea star. Yeah, and, it, and, and and you're good to say that it's really good to have different groups or different people with permits around the bay because we've seen a few of these uh, mass aggregations just pop mm-hmm. up out of nowhere and then disappearing again. And so we need some kind of system where there's a rapid response that's that's available as they are still there, don't we? Absolutely, and I've been talking to Neil Blake about that. And look, these species, as we know, invasive species, they, they, non-indigenous species, they evolve very fast. We never used to see them in the summertime they don't like the warm water so the last sort of 10 years they've started coming in in the summer as well and mornington pier always has them but yeah we need to get something going to you know give the community um empowerment as well i mean it's such an enjoyable exercise we had with such a good time yesterday i mean we would have just been happy to see each other so <laughs> <laughs> i think there's a lot of that going on at the moment um kate yeah. did you have any questions Oh, no, look, you've pretty much covered it all. And the rapid response part is probably the most important part of this because, as you've been saying, they do. They just basically come through in waves. I don't know how many Eiffel Towers worth you collected there, Jackie, (laughs) but what you will find is you can turn up one day and there's tens of thousands and the next day they're gone. And it's basically, it's almost like a feeding wave that comes through. And as you said, the summer is not their peak time. They tend to be in the deeper, cooler waters in the middle of Port Phillip Bay where not many Mm -hmm. people get. But you said their behaviour is starting to change and they're sort of, I guess, whether it's they're evolving, they're actually changing their sort of temperature tolerances, it appears. Jackie, we got about Absolutely, five. They're amazing. We got about five minutes left, and I just want to get to yep. um, some, a couple of other things before we do. If people want to get in touch sure. with you about the sea stars in particular, what's the best thing that they can do? Or maybe not you, maybe somebody else. But what's the best thing that they can do? Well, well, 
I have my permit under Earthcare, so Julianne Stewart at Earthcare um, helped me with my permit. But I have no problem with people contacting me by a Facebook Messenger, and I they, I can point them to the right direction. But it's a fisheries permit, so um, if they any three of those, Julianne Stewart, myself, or, or just send a message to Fisheries and just find out. It's a pretty easy application. It takes four to six weeks, so that's the part of it that. You know, want people to get onto it very quickly. Okay, so if you want to do that, maybe get onto it now and in view of potentially taking part yep. in four to six weeks' time. Um, excellent. Let's talk That's a little right. bit about let's talk about today's beach patrol event. Actually, just in case we run out of time to do the other stuff. <laughs> we'll do that in the dive report. We're probably done. Yes. <laughs> um, look, I, I'm just about, I'm just about to go in. Actually, I'm really happy this is going ahead. So this is a I think they've got a 100-person registered limit on this, so they've got a COVID plan. So this is a little bit of free coffee. They've got a mini-container mini deposit scheme, um, big clean-up on the beach. Dolphin Research is doing, Institute's doing some education activities. So we're really starting to get back into those festivities again. I think having that little mini-lockdowns made everyone, oh, let's go, let's jump on it, let's do it while we can. And this is Mount Martha? Mount Martha Lifesaving Club. So there's a few... There's a few, we've got boomerang bags, we've got um, Waste Wise Peninsula, so there's a few um, organisations involved today, so I'm really looking forward to going in, it'd be good, it'd be great. Now you said there's a 100 um, people registration limit, but can people just kind of rock up in the outdoors and take part in activities even if they're not registered? Look, for the, I, I wouldn't encourage that today, hopefully we'll get to that point really soon. Um, we're, you know, it's, it's pretty, there's pretty strict regulations to be even allowed to be operate with these events. As we know, so many events have been closed down. The regular beach patrols can't run because of that reason, because people, um, you know, trying to do the good thing will just turn up and then they've breached their COVID plan. So for today, probably not, but hopefully really soon we can get all this up and running again. We're, you know, barring any um, breakouts, we're pretty close to getting back to our regular clean-up events, which would be fantastic because anyone can join those. Yeah, great. And just a super quick dive report before we let you go. We'll get to the we'll get to the McRae <laughs> Seaside Scavenge no, next time. So, I've, so, what I would say really quickly is at this morning, anywhere, because the, it's a really light southerly, <laughs> so whether you're at Ricketts Point or whether you're at Jawbone or whether you're down at Portsea, excellent. For the peninsula, there's a southerly wind, so Blagary's always amazing. So Blagary's brilliant on a southerly wind. And Portsea might be good today too because we've got an ebb tide going out um, and a south wind. So Portsea and Blagary are the most protected from that wind. So if you don't like getting cold when you get out or you don't like a bit of chop, I'd be going to Blagary or Portsea today yeah. if you wanted to dive later on. But, yes, at the moment there's barely any wind. Fantastic. And I just remembered, Jackie, we're catching up with you next week. So let's take let's start that. You are. <laughs> <laughs> you and AJ, we're going to talk about Save Our Spider Crabs and where that campaign's at. And we'll um, we'll, we'll kick off by getting to those McRae statistics to kick off with. Oh, absolutely. That'd be great. All right. Look forward to it. All right. Have a great day. Thanks so much again for everything that you All right, do. you too, guys. Okay. See you, Jackie. See you. Thanks, Jackie, the busiest woman in marine conservation <laughs> in Victoria, <laughs> <laughs> running from A to B all day. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks so much, Cade. Enjoy your week camping.
Certainly will, Bron. Enjoy having a chat after the show. Yeah, likewise. And thank you, Fum. <laughs> no worries. Good to be back. Thanks heaps, Nerida. Thank you to Kent. He'll have our show up as a podcast sometime later this morning. I believe his alter ego panel beater is ready to take you through with the team of doctors through to 11 o'clock. And uh, thanks to Mary Picard, who was our guest today on our program, and Brett, of course, on our program next week. Dr Beach will be in the house, along with Neil Blake uh, with Baykeeping. And yes, Jackie Younger and AJ will be back to talk about spider crabs amongst other things. Have a wonderful Sunday. Last words, Fum? Uh, no, have a wonderful Sunday. This was awesome. <laughs> See you next Great week. You back. Get on board. Okay. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.